0: We've got truth decay at the moment, whether it's uh, Boris, unable either to decide or remember when a party was or was not a party, whether it's Donald Trump, whose practice seems to be simply to shout louder when the facts, as over the last US election and the Capitol riots, are not as he would wish them to be whether it's deep fakes on the internet, whether it's false flag missions in the Ukraine or Russia, whether it's people just shouting at one another on social media, truth decay is all around us at the moment. Why does this matter? Because it tends to rot our common life. That's my first point this morning. Truth telling matters to community whether in a household, a church or a nation, keeping this commandment really, really matters. Why? As Paul writes in Ephesians 4.25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. We commit to truth-telling, Paul insists, because we're committed to being together. But when we've got truth decay, community rots. I can remember being told off as a very young boy. I had lied to my mum to cover up some wrongdoing. And when found out her hard words resonated, she said, how can I trust what you say in the future? Without truth telling, trust is hard to sustain and is hard to build. I'm remembering, just as I'm speaking, uh, a conversation I had with Sam. I've, I've always, as a parent, I've always tried to tell the truth to my kids, which includes saying sorry to them when I have behaved badly. I can remember one particular morning, he used to need a bomb behind him to get him out of the door in time for us to get to school, and I got unreasonably cross with him one morning. And I went to apologise, and I said, I'm really sorry which point he said, that's okay, Dad, don't do it again. <laughs> Without truth-telling, trust is hard to sustain and community is hard to build. I don't know about you, My my first instinct is to trust people. I don't find it hard to give second chances when people make mistakes. But when I find that I have been misled or that either I've been lied to or lied about... I find I become much warier. A colleague and I were at a meeting with the leader of another church uh, 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 who assured us about something. And we then acted in good faith on the basis of what that person had said. It turned out it wasn't actually untrue, but that person had significantly misled us. They had concealed so much that actually they had effectively lied. And I'm finding it hard, difficult to get back to a place of trust in that relationship. For without trust, community is difficult to build and difficult to sustain. So truth decay rots community. Second, truth-telling matters to God. Truth-telling matters to God. Before giving testimony in court, still to the day, most people hold the Bible in their hand and promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. A whole criminal justice system is based on this commandment, is based on that sense of being accountable before God for telling the truth. Without truth-telling, our criminal justice system becomes difficult to run. But my only experience of supporting a church member through the process of a criminal trial was marred by the clear attempt to bring false witness against him. Not by one, but I think by three witnesses, including a police officer who is now no longer a police officer. Now, I am not saying he was completely innocent. I know him far too well to say that. But I've also no question that he was treated unfairly in the criminal justice system. Truth decay rots trust and community. It doesn't just matter to God because it's the right thing. When we claim to follow Jesus and it are found to be people whose word cannot be trusted, we trash his reputation as well. Whenever abuse has taken place in the church, whether over money or sex or power, God's reputation gets trashed by his people. I think that's why Jesus tells us not to swear oaths, not because they cannot be sworn. There are many examples in the scriptures of them being sworn, but because they're spiritually dangerous. Jesus points out in verses 34 to 36 that people were playing games. They were claiming God's backing without actually naming him. Far better, Jesus said, far better for us to be known as people who speak the unvarnished truth. Verse 37 All you need to say is simply yes. Or no, an older translation said, let your yes be your yes and your no be your known. Far better to be known who, as a person whose truthfulness is known because you follow through on your promises, because you speak the truth even when it costs you. You might be thinking, just why are, are oaths spiritually dangerous? Simply because when we swear an oath to God, yes, we're binding ourselves to keep it, but we're also, as the guarantor of the oath, Pledging God's character to keep it. We're making God a party to our oaths. We're making God responsible for our failures. So if we don't keep them, then we're dishonoring God's character and majesty. And actually, we're laying ourselves open to judgment. As Jesus says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this gives the devil a foothold to exploit in our lives. Of course, God is always compassionate and mercy. Of course, God is slow to anger and of great goodness, but he does not like us trashing his character. Why? Because our inability to keep our promises calls into question his faithfulness. That God will not stand. I remember being taught many years ago by David Pitches, who was uh, the leader of St. Andrew's Chaudy Wood, and it was under his ministry that new wine came into being. And I remember him sharing with us an example of somebody who, a couple of folk who'd broken oaths and then needed to be released from them. They were had been a couple of times former monks and nuns who had gone on to marry Clearly, they'd sworn an oath of celibacy. They'd gone on to marry and then found that they were unable to conceive, unable to have children. There was no medical reason why they could not do so. And they came for a prayer ministry, and David and Mary, his wife, prayed for them, and they felt led to ask them um, you know, to break the oaths. They'd broken the previous oaths, and they needed to ask for grace for having broken them. Matthew 18, 18 tells us, we can be loosed from previous oaths, we bound ourselves. We can repent and be released from previous oaths, but it does need to be done. When they prayed like that for these former monks and nuns, they found quickly they were able to go on to have children. They had to repent of the broken oath of celibacy and be released from it. If you're in that situation, I don't think there are many former monks and nuns, but if you're in that situation where you have broken an oath, maybe through divorce or whatever, come and speak to me and we'll set up an opportunity to do that, either with myself or with members of the prayer ministry team. Spiritual oaths can be dangerous. Truth-telling matters to God. Third, Truth-telling is part of our living sacrifice. Now, of course, truth-telling is easy uh, when we're praising someone. Truth-telling is easy when we're encouraging someone. Truth-telling is easy when you're in those early weeks of a relationship, you're falling in love with someone and you're sharing your whole self with them. Truth-telling is then really easy. It's much harder when we've screwed up and we need to say so. It's much harder when you have got tough stuff to say to someone, stuff you know they really won't want to hear. It's much harder when someone is challenging you to apologize, hard when you're being told just how much you've hurt someone else. Truth telling always matters. But telling the truth when we know we might suffer or lose for doing so is a costly living sacrifice but it is one the Lord expects from us, one that the Lord will honour whenever it's offered. Beware the temptation of half-truths when we're telling some of the truth, but like a dart on a dartboard, yes, it's sort of on the board, but no, it's nowhere near the bullseye. Beware the temptation of half-truths. Beware the temptation of deflection of downplaying the hurt we've caused, which suggests the others being oversensitive or, or saying that what was heard wasn't what was meant or intended. Beware the temptation to gloss things, to put the best possible light on our words or actions just to get ourselves out of a tight spot. Beware of turning things back, of getting your, rep, your retaliation early, or choosing to be so offended and so hurt to, that gets the other one who's challenging us to back off. Now, it may be that you have never played any of these games around truth-telling. It may well be that. Maybe it's just I've seen them a lot, but they are, do get played. Beware the temptation of half-truths of deflection, of gloss, of turning things back on the person who's challenging you. Beware also the temptation to novelise, to novelise. When we're really hurting, our stories tend to grow in the telling. Our grievances tend to get embellished. And even simple incidents become novels. By which I mean not just what happened, but also how we felt about it and what we assert the other must have meant by it. Half-truths and novelisations are part of truth decay as well. I handled many things badly when I was a curate, but I handled one thing particularly badly. A small group was struggling. Rather than getting everyone together and getting them to talk it through, I became the go-between. So I went to one couple in the group with what another couple had told me. But couple A were hurting and they'd given me a novelized version of their pain, including a really harsh account of couple B's motivations. So when I told couple B what couple A had told them, they were flat out shocked at what couple A had said about them. So of course, as you do, they fired back. When I then went back to couple A, with couple B's angry response, all hell, frankly, broke loose. Truth decay rots community. So when I next faced a problem in a small group, I insisted that the complaints which I'd listened to had to be brought to the group leader face to face. That made those complaining accountable for what they were saying, and as I sat with them, I noticed that their complaints had shrunk in size from when they'd first been presented to me no longer allowed to load me up with bullets to fire as go between they were measured speaking face to face now I can't tell you the conflict the conflict was worked completely through but the collateral damage was so much less because they had spoken the truth to one another and measured it rather than novelized it I wonder in what areas you're finding it hard to commit to truth-telling. Where might you need to put something right? I wonder in what areas you may be settling for half-truths, either deflecting or glossing, maybe turning stuff back on someone, or novelizing, with offences and grievances growing in every single telling. All of these can be part of our truth decay. Truth-telling is part of our living sacrifice. The Lord expects it. It honours his character. A final thought is that where truth needs to be spoken, it needs, of course, to be spoken in love, as Ephesians 4.15 puts it. A verse that also puts speaking the truth in the context of the health of the body of Christ. Truth-telling matters to the body, and so, of course, also does love. The body cannot do without either. As a Yorkshireman, I grew up among people who definitely called a spade a spade. In fact, they often called it expletive, deleted, a shovel. But neither being brutal, being brutal is not a virtue, and bluntness is not named as a fruit of the Spirit. Where hard truth needs to be spoken, it doesn't become more true from being spoken without compassion. A scalpel wound is much easier to recover from than a hammer blow. Measuring our words, as in the second difficult small group conversation, measuring our words is part of speaking the truth in love. So keeping this commandment really matters. For truth decay is all around us in our culture. I just, it just strikes me that when uh, hate crime was redefined by not what I said, but what you heard me say, there's an unravelling that goes on because then actually it's that novelization, It's that sense of how I felt about something defines intention. That I don't think is a Christian understanding. It has to be about what I meant, not just about what you heard me say. Truth decay is all around us and it rots households and churches, communities and nations. To what extent will we fight that? Will we commit to owning our mistakes, Will we commit to dealing with our difficult feelings? Will we commit to making and meaning peace? Will we commit to telling stories as faithfully as we can, not allowing our stories and our grievances to grow in the telling? And will we commit to speaking the truth always in love, measuring our words? The Lord loves and is honoured by such a commitment to truthfulness community whether in our households our church or our nation community is grown and sustained by such truthfulness to what extent will we resolve to make this costly commitment to truth-telling as a part of our living sacrifice and where where might the lord be challenging you to speak the truth to measure it in love and to restore relationships amen